Okay, we are continuing our study of the book of Galatians. We are in Galatians chapter 4, and here we want to pick up at verse 21, where Paul really interacts for one last time with the Abraham story in order to make his point that freedom is found in the Messiah by faith, not in the law. And so he begins this section in 421 by saying, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? And he's going to interact with a passage out of the Old Testament law, the story of Abraham, one last time to make this point. And the concepts of slavery and freedom are going to be central to this section, those concepts that he has been developing over the last handful of paragraphs and keeps bringing up and has already argued for and pointed out that the Judaizers' message is the road to slavery, that faith in the Messiah is the way of Abraham and the way of blessing and freedom. And so freedom and slavery, slavery and freedom, promise, blessing, uh, law and flesh and all of that, those concepts now are going to be kind of brought together in one last sort of combination of appeal and scripture exposition to make his point. Let's walk down through verses 22 through 27 at first, and then we'll need to wrestle with exactly what Paul is doing in this paragraph. Paul interacts with the Abraham story about Isaac and Ishmael. So let me read verse 22 and 23, and then we'll just kind of clarify exactly what we're talking about. Verse 22 and 23 say this, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman was born through the promise. What Paul is doing in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 4 is he's summarizing and recalling a central piece of the Abraham story that is told in Genesis 16 and 21 primarily. You can read through that on your own time and go back and get the details of that story. But in a nutshell, the story is this, that God had promised to Abraham that he would have descendants like the stars of the sky. Abraham was 75 years old when God, God promised that. That's why it was such a shocking promise. And, and Abraham believed that promise um, and trusted God on that. So he's 75 when God first made that promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. Well, in Genesis 16, Abraham um, gets impatient and follows the normal means of the culture of the day. At this point, it's been 10 years since the initial promise has been made. Yes, God is taking his time, and Abraham gets impatient. And so now Abraham is 85 years old, no babies, not a single descendant, yet alone descendants like the stars of the sky. And so according to the custom and the culture of the day, if you have no legitimate and legal heir to your property, then the law provided for you to uh, try to have an heir through a servant. That was the custom of the day. And so Sarah and Abraham agree that maybe that's what God had in mind. Maybe that's what we should do. And so they follow the what Paul calls here in his summary, the way of the flesh. Ordinary human thinking, ordinary human resources, the culture of the day's way of doing things. And so Abraham 
has a baby with Hagar. It's a boy. They name him Ishmael. And Abraham's like, great, I have an heir, finally. Okay, all well and good. Except that God says, no, that's not the way it's going to be. Uh, Ishmael is not the heir. He is not the child of promise. In fact, in Genesis 21, we're, we're told it's through Isaac that your seed, your descendants are going to be named. Isaac is the line of promise, not is Ishmael. And so um, we learned that Ishmael is not it. Um, you keep reading through Genesis. It's now another 15 years by the time Genesis 21 rolls around. Now Abraham is 100 years old. And God finally gives him the, the promised son. Isaac is born in Abraham's 100th year, 25 years after the initial statement of the promise, all right? And so uh, Ishmael is born according to the flesh, meaning according to the normal human way, ordinary human wisdom, ordinary human convention, culture's ideas about how to go do it. Isaac is born according to the promise. He is the lineage of promise. It's that story that that Paul is recalling here in Galatians 4, 22 and 23, when he says, it was written... And not necessarily a quote, but a summary. It is written that Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. One by the bondwoman, meaning slave woman. Uh, Hagar was the servant or the slave, and so she's the bondwoman. She's the slave woman. So one according to the slave woman, and one by the free woman, which is Sarah. Okay, those concepts, slave woman, free woman, slavery and freedom, are the key concepts in this paragraph that we're looking at in this session. The he says the one born by the bondwoman, the slave woman, Hagar, was born according to the flesh. That is according to ordinary human custom, ordinary human thinking and resources and wisdom. Um, And the one by the free woman, by Sarah, Isaac, was born according to the promise. This was the child that God promised, that I will give you and Sarah a child. And God had to clarify that for Abraham in the wake of Ishmael being born and get that all clear, right? And so you have these two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, born into slavery, according to the slave woman, or born into freedom through the promise, okay? Those are the, the, that's the story. Now, Paul is going to make a particular point from this story using it sort of allegorically or better analogously. He's going to use it as an analogy for the point he's trying to make. Notice verse 24. This is allegorically speaking. It's really important that we understand that Paul doesn't mean like formal, full-throttled allegory in the sense of like Philo the Jew or some of the other things we see in the uh, ancient world. He doesn't take all the details of the story and you know eliminate their historical details as if they mean nothing. He's using it more like a metaphor or an analogy for his audience and for the point of his day. So this is what he says. This is, uh, this is an analogy for these women represent two covenants. Let's think of them, he says, like two covenants. One covenant proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are slaves. The um, So you have a slave covenant, and um, he doesn't detail just yet, but he'll get there, and you have a free covenant, two covenants. So one proceeds from Mount Sinai. 
Why Mount Sinai? Well, that's where the law was given. So this is the Mosaic Covenant. This is the law. This is the one the Judaizers are uh, telling the Galatians they need to keep. They need to keep the Sinai Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, the Law Covenant. Um, he says, those who are born according to the law are slaves. He's already argued that point Earlier in his letter, he doesn't need to. He assumes that here. He doesn't need to argue that point because he's already made that point that the law led to slavery. It was like being under uh, managers and guardians, and it led to slavery, right? So the Judaizers and those like them, and they are slaves to the law covenant. He says this is Hagar in verse uh, 24, at the end of verse 24, this covenant, uh, Hagar represents this covenant because she was a slave and her child was a slave child, right? So slavery, Hagar, Sinai covenant. Now he says this Hagar represents Mount, Ara uh, Mount Sinai in Arabia. Again, it's another point of contact with the Hagar story. She fled there twice in the book of Genesis. And so it's a convenient kind of linking in Paul's mind that Hagar, Arabia, Sinai, all located in the same area. Mount Sinai is in Arabia. So now this Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Um, so the, the connection with Hagar specifically is slavery and that Sinai is in Arabia, but particularly slavery. That's the big concept, theological concept he's dealing with is um, Jerusalem, the Mosaic Covenant, slavery, all right? So she represents Mount Sinai, and she corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem, which is in slavery with her children. But, the second covenant, verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free. So the contrast is free. So the Jerusalem that comes from above, the heavenly Jerusalem, she is free she is our mother. This is the second covenant, the one that um, comes specifically from the free woman, i.e. Sarah. It's freedom that's the key idea. And she is our mother. And then in verse 27, Paul quotes Isaiah 54.1, which echoes um, the account of Sarah in Genesis, although she is not explicitly named. It echoes that account. And in the context of um, Isaiah, Isaiah 54, 1, is the result of the servant's work in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the passage that most descriptively and graphically displays what the Messiah is going to do and how he's going to suffer for sinners and how his, his death in their place is going to lead to their healing and their freedom. And as a result of that, now you get Jerusalem being healed. You get the new Jerusalem in Isaiah 54. So Isaiah 54, 1 is... This is the result of Messiah's work when we get this new Jerusalem that comes down from above. Listen to uh, Isaiah 54, 1, as quoted here in Galatians 4, 27. Rejoice, O barren woman who does not bear, echoing the Sarah story, who was barren, didn't bear, couldn't have kids, right? Rejoice, O barren woman who does not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. 
And in the poetry of Isaiah 54, this is speaking of the new Jerusalem, restored, cleansed, and healed because of the servant's work in Isaiah 53, the Messiah's work uh, through his sacrificial and substitutionary death. And so now Paul picks this up and says that's exactly what's happening in our day uh, is the new Jerusalem has come because Messiah has come. And so her children now are, are more than she could ever imagine because the Gentiles are coming into that. All right, now let's pause right there. And before we finish off this paragraph, let's think about what Paul has just done and reflect on it. Because, man, Paul has, in some regards, it feels like, played a little fast and loose with the Old Testament text. Like, Paul, what are you doing? Like, the present-day Jerusalem didn't come from Ishmael and Hagar. The present-day Jerusalem are the descendants of Sarah, Abraham, and Isaac. So, what are you doing here, Paul, in this story? How does this even work? Well, it works at the level of analogy because Paul really is making a comparison between slavery and freedom and flesh and promise. Those are the key ideas. And what he wants us to realize is now that Messiah has come and present-day Jerusalem rejecting the Messiah, they're in slavery to the law and they're rejecting God's work. And so they're on the outside looking in. And so as we think about this, I want you to go back and picture that line of promise that we've been talking about for the last handful of recordings, that line of promise that goes from Abraham and here Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, to Isaac, to Jacob, down to Jesus, and then, as Paul says, down to all those who are in Jesus. That's the line of promise. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Jesus, and the followers of Jesus, including Paul and those with Paul. That's the line of promise. And so you have the line of promise, and then you have those who are outside the line of promise. Who's outside the line of promise? Well, Hagar is outside the line of promise. That wasn't the way it was going to happen. Ishmael is outside the line of promise. Um, presumably, Paul doesn't mention it anywhere in Galatians, but Esau is outside the line of promise, right? Not Esau, but Jacob. And Who's outside the line of promise? Well, the Judaizers are outside the line of promise because they're outside of Jesus, they're outside of Paul. And so there's the line of promise, and that is the line of freedom. Then there's those outside the line of promise, Hagar, Ishmael, Judaizers, and that's the line of slavery. And all who are outside the line of promise are thus enslaved to the law. They're in slavery, and they are not operating by the by faith and the promise, they're operating by the law and by the flesh. Paul has already argued that, so he doesn't need to argue that here. That's the way we need to make sure we think about things in order to understand what Paul is saying. So with all of that in mind, we need to really ask the question, is Paul playing fast and loose with the Old Testament text, the Old Testament story? And if so, how can he get away with that? My answer to that is I don't believe Paul is playing fast and loose with the Old Testament story. Uh, there's a good chance Paul actually brings up this story and has to interact with it because the Judaizers in some way are using it, but we don't know that for sure since we don't have total details on it, but that, there's a good chance of that. But even so, is Paul mishandling this Old Testament story? And really, it's not. What Paul is doing is he's taking this story and he's using it and it illustrates 
precisely the point Paul has been making in Galatians, precisely the point he wants the Galatians to get. The way he uses this story and the entire point of this story in its original context makes the very point Paul wants to make. And so it really does illustrate the principle that Paul has defended in his theological argumentation. Let me make that explicit. Paul has argued that the way of God is the way of faith in the promise. You see that with Abraham, Paul said, that it's faith in the promise that got Abraham declared righteous. And so all those who are of faith, uh, like Abraham, they're God's offspring. They're part of the promise. That's the whole point of the story, even in Genesis. And so any other point being made by that story is the mishandling of the story. So if the Judaizers are using this story, and if they're saying, so you have to keep the law in order to be part of Abraham's family, Paul would say, no way. The Abraham story doesn't even make that point. The law didn't even exist yet. Um, and so the, the point of the Abraham story is faith, promise, freedom, and thus Paul uses the story and makes very much the very point of the story here, even if some of the ways he articulates that would be offensive to the Jews of his day. Like, to align the Jews of his day and Mount Sinai with Hagar, Ishmael, and Arabia, like, you see the conflict in our very own day between the Palestinians and the Israelis, right? You see that conflict. Well, that's that's the long-standing conflict between Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, that go, goes all the way back to Genesis. And so, in some ways, what Paul said would be very offensive. But the point he's making from the story is the very theological principle that the story teaches in its original context in Genesis. That the way of God is the way of faith in his promises. And thus, as Moise Silva says in his commentary on Galatians, he says, what could be more appropriate than to relate the theological principle intended, that is the faith lesson in the story of Abraham and his descendants, to the Galatian situation, which concerns who are the descendants of Abraham? That's the whole question that, that Paul's answering here in Galatians. Who are the descendants of Abraham? And Paul takes the very theological point of the Abraham story, the Ishmael and Isaac story, and says that the offspring of Abraham are the children of promise who have the faith of Abraham. And so um, Paul, I don't think, is playing fast and loose with the story. He's actually applying the very point of the story to his context. So then, back to Galatians 4, verse 28 is where we're at. Here now, Paul turns and says, all right, so here is the point for you, O Galatians. Here is the point for you followers of Jesus. Galatians 4, 28 says, and you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. You see, he's applying the very point of the Genesis story, the Isaac story, to the Galatians. You, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But, verse 29, as at that time he who was born of the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born of the spirit, Isaac, so it is now. <laughs> Applying it to their situation. Ishmael persecuted Isaac, and, and guess what? The Judaizers who are born of the flesh are persecuting you who are born of the spirit. And those are points he's already argued earlier in the, the letter. And so you're experiencing the opposition, the oppression, the haggling and hassling that comes from flesh people, 
and you are promised people. So you are children of the promise and you're being persecuted by children of the flesh. But what does the scripture say? Verse 30, he asks. And then he quotes a passage from Genesis, Genesis 21.10, where Sarah is told how she should handle Hagar and Ishmael. And so Paul quotes that here in Galatians 4.30, and it says this, Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. There is a distinction made between Isaac and Ishmael, and so cast her out, she is told. And Paul presumably and implicitly is saying to the Galatians, and you should do the same thing with the Judaizers. Cast them out. Um, Be done with them. Cut them off. Don't listen to them. In the relationship with them, they are of the flesh, and they are not telling you the truth. So cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the the free woman. So be done with them. And then verse 31 says, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. And that is his whole point, is that, as he already argued, the law, the flesh, slavery, faith, promise, freedom, that's us. That's who we are in Christ. And so... The chapter break really is unfortunate at this point. That's where chapter 4 ends is with that line. But really, 5.1 is the wrap-up to this whole section. And Galatians 5.1 says this, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That's his final appeal. Be done with slavery, the slavery of the law, the slavery of the flesh. Be done with all that slavery and live out the freedom you have been given in Christ. We are free in Christ. Um, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So keep standing firm in that. Resist the Judaizers. Resist the slavery they offer. Or resist anything that would lead you into slavery and stand firm in the freedom that you have in Christ. And really, that's the heart of this section. And that's the thing we need to kind of focus on as we wrap this up and reflect upon it is the key word in this section, the key thing for us as followers of Jesus to remember is freedom. Freedom that Christ set us free, that um, we have this freedom in Jesus to to uh, to live a new kind of life. We are free from the Old Testament law. We are free from sin. We are free from falsehood. We are free from condemnation. We are free in Galatians from the basic principles of the world. Um, we are free to have access to God. We are free to love one another. He'll actually go on here shortly and say that. We are free to live in newness of life. We are free to call God Abba, Father, Dad. That's the whole point. Now that Messiah has come, we are free to live with him and for him. Slavery is in the past. Freedom is our new normal. We are children of God, children of promise, children of freedom. So stand firm in that and don't let anyone or anything lead you into a new form of slavery now that you've been set free in Christ.